the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another episode of the Michelle Tafoya podcast. Gender ideology is, is it as big as we think it is? Is it as big as it appears? You know, we see all of these stories about trans women, more trans women than men, but there are some trans men too. And we're going to talk to one of them. And not only did she transition, but she detransitioned. And she is amazing. And so is her story. And she is next. Welcome to the Michelle Tafoya podcast. Our guest today is Laura Becker, a young woman uh, with an incredible past that you're going to learn about. She ended up going through gender transformation. She had a double mastectomy. And now she is detransitioning. She says she is a heterosexual woman. And her story is beyond remarkable. But you know what? So is her storytelling. She is smart. She is wise beyond her years. She is delightful. She is creative. And she is forging her future. And and she is a case study in if someone's going through gender dysphoria when they're young, maybe don't rush to do the medical stuff. Maybe see how this plays out with some other approaches, counseling, uh, you know, psychotherapy, whatever it is, without the mutilation, and see where we land in a few years when that brain is finally developed. If her story doesn't prove that to you, I don't know what will. Laura Becker's going to join us next. She is remarkable. She has a new fan in me, and I think you're going to love her as well. In the meantime, we had some summer, didn't we? Do you think your face enjoyed it as much as you did? Because uh, I know that my skin suffered a little bit, but I have the antidote. And so does Ella from Rockford, Illinois. She said, quote, I have both age and acne spots, and this stuff is actually fading both of them. This serum is worth every penny. What is she talking about? The dark spot corrector from Genucel, a must have after months of the heat and humidity we just went through because you've got your sunspots, brown spots, discoloration, even red and flame patches. They will all disappear in front of your eyes with this Genucel dark spot corrector. And here's the Genucel amazing guarantee. You'll see results day one or your money back. So take advantage of the Genucel most popular package, which now includes the dark spot corrector, plus the classic Genucel bags and puffiness treatment and immediate effects all at about 70% off. So yeah, you can try the best skincare on the planet. Try it for yourself completely risk-free. Did you know, by the way, that Genucel offers a compliments guarantee? They'll give you, give you your money back if you don't get compliments on how much younger you look. That's why I've never asked for my money back because... The guarantee was, it came true. So it's simple. Go to genucel.com slash Michelle. Do it today. Start looking years, maybe even decades younger tomorrow. Genucel.com slash Michelle with one L. Say goodbye to the dark and liver spots, the bags and puffiness under the eyes, the crow's feet at genucel.com slash Michelle. G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com 
slash Michelle with one L. You'll see results day one and you'll get compliments everywhere you go. That's a guarantee. Genucel.com slash Michelle. Genucel.com slash M-I-C-H-E-L-E. Next, a detransitioner's story that is beyond remarkable. You're going to want to hear this. Stay tuned. Laura Becker, it is so great to finally meet you. I'm welcome to the podcast. Um, you did something really cool just a few days ago. You released a self-portrait, which we are going to show our audience here uh, because it is brave. It is beautiful. It is bold. Why don't you tell us about the portrait and why you decided to release it now? Yeah, so I detransitioned actually several years ago. It's been maybe four or five years now. And so I've been doing a lot of healing, a lot of therapy, a lot of art to try and process everything. And I'm still processing it, but I feel like now is the time when I feel confident to be able to do something this vulnerable because it is a self-portrait of my naked um, torso from about here up. And it's revealing my mastectomy scars from the transgender surgery and the nipple grafts. And, you know, it's, it's something that's taken me a long time to, to come to grips with that. This is the reality of my body, that this is the damage that's done. It will never look like a normal female body. It will never be sort of that pristine natural beauty that it once was. Um, and so I wanted to do a self-portrait showing that to the world because there's never been a self-portrait of this sort of type. Um, there's definitely been a lot of mastectomy portraits with, you know, feminism and things, but this was revealing the medical malpractice and the medical damage that was done by the transgender affirmation movement. Mm -hmm. um, and so I did, um, I put gold leaf over the scars right. as a form of the Japanese art of Kintsugi, which is, the repairing of pottery when it breaks, they seal it with gold to show that it's part of its history and it, it's still beautiful. So that's my way to try and, you know, show that I've come to a place of acceptance with my body and it still works. It's still my home. I still live in my body and I need to move forward with what I can. That symbolism is beautiful. Uh, and, and it's, it's so nice to hear you say that you are confident and that you are comfortable and that you've come to this place of acceptance. Um, how difficult of a journey has that been to, to come to accept where you are now, what your body looks like after, as you suggest, there was medical malpractice done. What's that process been like for you? I mean, to be frank, it's been a hellish process. Um, I do view things in a, in a pretty intense manner, um, in a poetic manner. And I really do feel like I've gone to hell and back many, many times. But I'm under the belief that we need to be in hell. If we're going to be there, we have to make the most look around what got us here. What energy can we get from here and what energy can we leave? So it has been a grueling process. Um, a lot of a lot of crying, a lot of shaking, a lot of um, you know venting, and just and asking the universe, asking God, you know why, you know, and um, all these different sorts of things that everyone goes through with different trauma. But then also being public and also having this be a political issue, a social issue of the time. You know, I didn't ever think I would grow up to be in a like a medical scandal, but 
you know, I'm just rolling with it now. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. It, 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 the timing is something. And I, I kind of believe that you are a voice, a person who is going to be extremely valuable in this whole discussion that we're having. And, and it is a, it is an odd discussion. Um, so let's go back to how you got to this point of transitioning in the first place. What do you think took you to that, to that medical decision? Well, I grew up as a gender nonconforming child. I was a tomboy. At age 11, I was diagnosed as having an endocrine disorder, polycystic ovary syndrome, which has an elevated level of testosterone. I was also diagnosed on the autism spectrum when I was 11. And so I was just kind of a little eccentric, a little quirky, and it was manageable up until around puberty. But around puberty, the hormonal dysregulation started kicking in and there were severe symptoms of depression, anxiety, social issues with peers. I was very lonely and isolated. And then exacerbated by that, there was also parental abuse in the home. Um, and I developed complex PTSD from that. Of course, I wasn't aware of that when I was then a teenager in high school. And I was finding out about gender ideology and gender identity on Tumblr, on social media, and even in my high school gay straight alliance club. And so I basically had an identity crisis that, you know, I had many other um, maladaptive coping mechanisms, substance abuse, toxic relationships, overeating, you know, that are common for trauma. But it right. just so happens that this is the time that we're living in that this is considered an option. It's considered a valid medical diagnosis. And so I was diagnosed with gender dysphoria when I was 19, and I thought that having surgery and taking hormones and, you know, adopting this male lifestyle would be the way to cure my depression. And I was suicidal. So I was desperate to have some kind of relief. Mm -hmm. So, so you, you get all these diagnoses and you're 19 at the point where you make the decision to transition is that you were 19 then? Well, I started socially transitioning when I was about 17, 18, okay. and then I started okay. medicalizing at 19. Okay. As you look back at that, um, clearly you can only, you know, look back with the, the mind that you have now. And But is there anyone that you would like to see held accountable for what happened to you physically? You know, I'm kind of past the point where I can really... I mean, I'm, I still get angry. I still have grief and everything where I point to specific people who have harmed me and, and myself, especially. But this is a widespread global issue. I mean, this is a large scale pharmaceutical issue, a political issue, um, an activist issue. And so who I want to see held accountable, I would like to see the specific uh, medical establishments, the hormone clinic who issued the testosterone and the surgeon's clinic um, who performed the operation when I couldn't consent, I would like to see those um, individuals held accountable. 
But moreover, I'd really like to see just the institutional um, mechanism that's that's harming, you know, young people and children in such a massive scale uh, made aware to the public and then regulations imposed for safeguards for medical um, evidence based care. And what is that institution? I mean, you've, you're talking about medicine, obviously, and I, 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 I personally think that, you know, look, people's brains don't develop till they're about 25 years old. And you go, everybody goes through, you, you went through some extraordinary crap. I mean, there's no way around it. And it seems to me you were almost taken advantage of for that reason, um, almost pushed into something that you said you couldn't, you couldn't consent. Correct. When you are suicidal and you're autistic and you have a developmental disorder, even if you're legally, you know, 18, 19, 20, you know, you're in a regressed developmental state. And regardless of of that, you are suicidal. You're not in a rational state of mind. You can't consent to long-term medical procedures. Right. Oh, you know what? This is just to hear you talking about this. I, I, part of me wants to cry because I'm, I'm so impressed with how you are dealing with it all, but I'm also pissed off that you were put through this. I, I, mm-hmm. I just, I, I feel my, my skin crawling right now. Um, that's so this stuff your intuition. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, I, so the, there is this, you know, this, this whole transitioning, it almost seems like a fad, Laura. It almost seems like a, you know, because it, it, if if you don't feel like you fit in, well, I'll just I'll just do this. I'll you know I'll I'll go in this direction, um, and that's not to say. It, it, it I think a lot of studies have shown that people who are thinking about transitioning and don't do it ultimately, maybe they learn that they're gay. Fine, whatever, um, but they don't need to go through this physical bodily mutilation that you went through. So if if for people who are listening, parents in particular, teachers too, I would say, although I don't know how many we have listening, but what do you want to tell them to what the, what would the right solution be if they ran into a young person around 16, 17, 18 years old, who was thinking about this? What would you tell them to do next? Well, what I want people to most understand is that while there is a social contagion going on and it's a peer influence and it's online and it's angsty young people who tend to be kind of annoying and emotionally volatile getting into this, we can't blame them because it is a, is a large scale lie. We're being sold a lie by the media, by politicians and by the medical industrial complex. Um, Because doctors, academics, they're writing these um, medical procedures and standards of care that aren't evidence-based. There is not strong research to show that transitioning a minor is going to be effective to them. As you stated, there's, you know, peer reviewed studies over a long period of time that replicate the same findings that gender nonconforming children who are uncomfortable in their bodies tend to grow up to be gay or lesbian, or they just come to accept it. I'm heterosexual. And a lot of the children that are being indoctrinated into this belief system are heterosexual. It's a lot different than in the 80s and 90s in the gay uh, liberation movement where, 
you know, trans people were cross-dressing and different things like that. That is different than what's happening today where K through 12 schools and universities are indoctrinating students to believe that sex doesn't matter, that bodies don't matter, that we're not trusting our intuition and knowing what a male or female is, and that getting these procedures is just a form of transcendence, is just a form of self-expression, like getting a tattoo. It's not like getting a tattoo, it's intervening with healthy bodily processes that can affect you for the rest of your life. Absolutely. And and a, a cynical point of view may be that, and I've heard both of these, one, that when a doctor has a patient and they can transition them and put them on these hormones, they have a patient for life. So it's very lucrative. That's one cynical point of view. And I'll get your take on that in a second. And the other is that, you know, the gay, uh, as you described, the, the gay rights movement has overcome so much and gotten so much of what they wanted um, that, you know, oh, now what do we do? That problem seems to be okay. So where do we go from here? Those are two of the sort of cynical viewpoints on this issue that I've heard. Does either one of those resonate with you? I mean, I wouldn't call them cynical. I would just call them like documenting history of what's going on. Um, I fully, uh, uh, you know, I'm of the belief that the gay liberation movement was attempting to achieve, you know, civil protections for homosexuals and, you know, freeing up the idea of how males and females could present, what their personalities could be like and the clothing that they wore that was achieved very well. Now we're having a regressive movement where, you know, fetishistic men who want to, you know, get access to female spaces are you are um, grabbing onto that. And the pharma knows that they can make a lot of money off of these patients that, and so it's working in tandem. Sometimes they're the same people being like, you know, Marcy Bowers, for example, with the World Professional Association of Transgender Health, WPATH. Um, these types of individuals, these men who identify as trans women um, are leading these activist organizations campaigning for indoctrination materials, which then utilize the homosexual movement to sort of say, hey, why don't we just let these people be themselves? Why can't we just be kind and tolerant? But it's actually far different. It's not just about how you're dressing. It's come to the point now where women's sex-based spaces are under attack. Um, we're not allowed to, we're having our speech censored. We are having our thoughts censored because we're not supposed to trust our intuition and know what a man or a woman is. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. It's, it's kind of crazy. I mean, it really yeah. is kind of nuts how this movement has grown and you use the word indoctrination. Um, you know, people don't want to accept that that's actually happening. So how would you explain how you see it happening? Right. I mean, when you say it's indoctrination, when you say that it's a cult, as I do and many do, you know, that sounds scary. It sounds hyperbolic. Um, and obviously, I used to be a trans rights activist. I used to be a transgender person. 
I've come to now understand that I was sold a lie, that I was sold an illusion and that there is a, you know, kind of a pseudo scientific spiritual belief that a lot of individuals hold that there is some kind of gender identity internal and that that needs to be freed, that needs to be liberated. And there's no shortage of religious spiritual cults that indoctrinate the most vulnerable in society, the people who are on the fringes, the people who feel alienated, the people with trauma and children. If you can get children to medicalize their bodies, go on puberty, suppressing drugs and stay in an infantilized state, you have to wonder why are adults advocating for that? Because if they want to advocate for healthy adults over the age of 25, making cosmetic decisions to their bodies, that is one situation. But why are adults then going after children? You have to wonder what are their sexual motivations, which is, oh, it's very gosh. difficult to talk about that, but yeah, if you use your intuition. <laughs> See, that's the thing. You, you, you've put this emphasis on intuition and common sense and just accepting what you know to be real rather than, you know, people talking, oh, don't believe what you see. It's, you know, it's like, right. wait a minute. Uh, I mean, that is so, so I would love to know how you came to this realization that you, you, you were heterosexual and that was, that was what you wanted to pursue after all you had been through. Well, I always knew that I was into men for better or worse. Um, but in terms of, you know, accepting myself as a female and feeling comfortable with, you know, just the different dynamics that men and women are different and it can be a struggle to connect. Um, you know, really what happened for me, why I detransitioned was that I was diagnosed in a formal psychological evaluation with post-traumatic stress disorder. And I started reading online about women who had trauma from childhood abuse and who had internalized misogyny against their bodies um, and felt alienated because of their womanhood, like autistic women. And then I found a, a small group of detransitioned women online. Everyone had trauma. Everyone was gender nonconforming. We all had hairy legs and we all had mastectomy scars. And it was just crazy to see, like, I'm not the only one. And there's actually a lot of women like me and we're all being targeted. Um, and so accepting that it was trauma that, you know, the, the, as I said before, the transition fantasy was a maladaptive coping mechanism similar to escaping with drugs or alcohol. Um, right. And so I pursued that as an attempt to, to cope with the PTSD that was going on and the self-hate from, from the abuse. And so when you realized all of this, did it, was it a gradual realization or did it hit you like a ton of bricks? I mean, I, it was gradual. I think it happened over the course of, you know, three to six months. This would have been in 2019. Um, and I just started researching PTSD because like you never think like, when you think of PTSD, you think of like a Vietnam vet, like Correct. an older man, yeah. right? You don't think of trauma that's occurring from, you know, domestic abuse or psychological abuse. Um, and so it took a while to research that and learn about that and research detransition and find these other women. Um, but once it, once I kind of, you know, was thinking about it, I accepted it in my body pretty quickly. Cause I was like, yeah, I'm female. I've always been female and the transition didn't change anything. I still dress the same. I think the same, I act the same before, during and after. 
So it didn't really do anything, but just alienate me even more and harm my body and distract me from, you know, accepting my body and moving on with my life. Yeah. My goodness. Uh, there does seem to be a, a growing number of detransitioners who are coming out and saying, look, this is a lie. Um, you were sold a bill of goods. Don't do this to your kids, et cetera. Do you, do you think that's going to do it? Uh, we have seen some lawsuits being brought. I think that that will have a pretty big impact on this whole industry. But what do you think is going to sort of stop this I, I, bizarre cycle of thinking that we're in? Well, as you said, the, you know, just the people talking about it and, you know, I view it as survivors of a cult coming out, you know, who are excommunicated um, from this ideology. Um, I think grassroots activism, the type that I participate in a lot, having individual conversations like the one we're having now, just the more conversation we can have, that's just common sense. I mean, we're not saying anything hateful. We're emotionally no. regulated. We're just talking about, you know, phenomena that's occurring. Um, for vulnerable people. But I think what's really going to make the change are the lawsuits. Um, it's, you know, if you follow the money, that's why we're in this mess. And that's how we're going to start regulating the mess. Um, and so I'm very hopeful about the lawsuits. I'm sure there's going to be many more to come. Hopefully my own will come to fruition. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, I would love to follow up with you on that. I, you, you, it's cool when I started following you on Twitter and I found your website, funkgod.com. And I, I love the word funk and funky. I just, I don't know. I, I, I love it. Um, tell us about this and what it, what it means to you, this whole funk God in little uh, boutique business that you have. Right. So I have um, an online store called the Funk God Emporium, where I sell kind of based and <laughs> based shirts and hats and wall art, but also just the funky stuff, you know, colorful, funkadelic, retro type things. What funk means to me is I, you know, the term funky can be used in a positive or negative sense. You can say, oh, something's really funky, you know, in the musical sense, like it's groovy, it's yeah. hip, it's cool, it's authentic, it's free, it's invigorating. And or you can also say, oh, I'm in a really bad funk or like, oh, that's funky. Like that's, that's off, you know? Yeah. So I started yeah. realizing like, it's almost like a yin and yang, like Taoist thing. It's like the duality of the good funks and the bad funks. And I was like, I'm really funky in both ways. Like I have all this trauma, I have all the crazy <laughs> bad funks. And then I have this really good stuff. I'm, the, I'm an artist, I'm a writer of a sense of humor. And yeah, so yeah. I started latching on to that as kind of this idea of the funk God philosophy and uh, now it's become my shtick, so. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. I love it. I love it. Um, I don't know how, how willing you are to go here, but, you know, I, I wonder about how you relate to people now. And not only people in this small group of women that you found that have gone through the same PTSD that you have and are now detransitioning, but also with men. I mean, you just told me you're heterosexual. 
How hopeful are you for what lies ahead in your life as far as relationships go? That's a good question. If anyone reads my Twitter, it goes back and forth. Um, yeah. My, my, I'm sure you've seen that. Um, yes. You know, I, I'm a hopeless romantic. I am a very passionate person and I've matured and I'm now 26 and I really, you know, my, I have very, you know, specific goals about having a very healthy marriage and a family and being a mother and a homemaker. And my values have really matured and come to fruition. Um, in terms of the practicality of that, I'm in a similar position to a lot of, you know, Gen Z people where it is hard to meet people. Like I'm out of college. I have also this really interesting niche of a, a body and a, and a life and awareness of trauma and awareness of healing that, you know, is many people tell me wise beyond my years. I'll let them yeah. say that, not me, but, um, you know, I, so I'll it's say difficult. It. Thank you. See, so now I can say, <laughs> yes, I, I'm an old soul. Um, but I'm still, you know, in this, you know, I think a lot about the fertility and my fertility is, right. is intact. It's fine, but it's oh, just good. difficult, you know, being this age where you're growing and expanding so much, but yeah. you are at a different pace than some of your peers. And it is hard to find young men that, that have sort of, you know, gone into the depths of hell, but then come out. A lot of people go into yeah. hell, not everyone comes out. So yeah. I struggle to be hopeful, um, in all honesty, about, you know, finding another funk god, as I like to say. Um, <laughs> but the more people I meet, I'm seeing the world is so much bigger, so much more vast. I'm developing a lot of really, you know, genuine connections with amazing people. Um, from all walks of life. So I'm hopeful that I'll eventually find like a mom that has a son that they can recommend to me. That's, that's my, <laughs> you never with, like, know. Women. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Look, um, I, 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 I hear a lot of both sides coming out of you right now, the hopeful, yeah. and the optimistic, but also the, the tentative and the, and and I will tell you, it's not that different from where I was at your age. You're still a very young woman. And it's uh, I am I'm going to just hope along with you because you are smart. You are wise beyond your years. You're creative. You're clearly empathetic and loving and passionate and creative. You are so many things. And um, and, and you never know how you're going to have a family. You just never know. We have one biological child and we adopted one child from Bogota, Colombia. You just never know. And um, so I'm going to I'm going to keep hopeful for you. And uh, I, I just I'm so impressed by you. Um, everything that you're saying ha has a has really some importance and so much thought behind it. So I, I, I think you're a catch myself oh, um, well, and I hope you. I I hope you can hang on to that. Um so people can find you at funkgod.com. They can find you on Twitter. Uh, I guess I'd, I'd give you the final word on this whole thing. When you see um, things like you talked about, like it, to me, it's injustice in sports right now where men are biological men are taking opportunities away from biological women. Just on the whole spectrum of things, um, what, you know, where do you want to see us in five years from now as a society, as it comes to this issue? 
You know, I'd love to see just more people, you know, feeling inspired and feeling confidence to, you know, speak their thoughts and and connect with more people just in general. We need a lot more connection. We need a lot more yes. broadening of our circles, you know, in real life. And um, but like my message would be, you know, you really aren't alone in being like, what the f is going on here? Sorry if I can't swear. What That's the okay, you're going good. on? Um <laughs> You know, and, and there are people out there. And if you lose your friends, you can find new ones. Like I had no social connections when I detransitioned. Now I have connections, you know, internationally all over the world. Because um, there are a lot of thoughtful, compassionate and and courageous people who who care about what's going on. And so you aren't alone and they are out there. Um and it is possible to to change the course of your life and, and develop that courage to speak out. Courage is in short supply these days. I You are a model of courage, and I admire you for it. And uh, I always end my podcast by saying, be brave and do good. You mm. have been extraordinarily brave throughout your life, not just now. It, clearly, you've survived a lot. That takes That takes courage. And, uh, and you're doing good with it. And I admire that so much. And I, and I'd love to keep in touch with you because I want to see what your future looks like. You're still so young. I know you may not feel that way right now, but you are. And there's a whole lot ahead of you that I, I just, I'm excited for you and you've inspired me today. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. I appreciate that. Go check out funkgod.com. Check out her work and all her stuff. It's really cool. You'll enjoy it. I'm so glad I got to meet her today and I am going to follow up with her. Until then though, folks, like I always say, be brave and do good. And we will see you next time. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.